Another example, how many have seen this by Bruce Wilkinson, The Prayer of Jabaz, or Jabez? Anyhow, uh, <clears throat> a fellow by the name of Chris Armstrong did a, an analysis of, of that book back in um, 2002 in Christianity Today, and he says this, Wilkerson claims that by praying Jabez's pray, prayer, you will release God's favor, power, and protection and be allowed to break through to the life you were meant to live. There are many biblical messages in the book, but it is not, but it does court spiritual presumption, scriptural and spiritual presumption. But it's built on the health, wealth, gospel, and attained God's and attaining God's unclaimed blessings. The message is that God will always enlarge in your territory for your best. As long as you don't depart from God's agenda and sin, it will be smooth sailing. You know, and he goes on to explain what's really interesting that, that Charles Spurgeon had preached a message against this particular prayer being used that way 130 years before the book was actually published. Of course, Charles Spurgeon was one of the most prolific authors and preachers of his time. He preached up to 10 messages per week. Can you believe that, Darren? Ten, we want, we'll do one every six months. You know, he does 10 a week. But one of the things about Charles Spurgeon is that he was really... Um, he was plagued by a lot of physical problems. He suffered from deep depression. A lot of people don't realize that. Deep depression. He had gout and something called Young's disease as well. But his message was very hopeful because he preached a message where we should be sorrowful over sin and pain and how it can strengthen our faith. That's not a very popular notion today. That is not a very popular notion. So my question to you is, how is your prayer life? You know, do you pray with confidence because you see God answering prayer? Or does your prayer life pattern consist of spurts and starts, much like mine does? So there are many examples of the Lord not even hearing prayers. And uh, talking to Darren last week, you know, he said, well, you know, you need to go to Jeremiah, Phil, and, and see what God had to say about his people and their listless prayer life. And so in Jeremiah 7:16, God says to Jeremiah, he says, As for you, do not pray for this people or lift up a cry of prayer for them and do not intercede with me, for I do not hear you. Later in Jeremiah eleven fourteen, God says he still won't listen to them and declares his people a disaster. Why? Because they had turned from him and sinned. They would not, he would not hear their, their prayer at all. Just cut them off completely. And in fact, in the 400 years between the Old and New Testament, we see great darkness for the Jews who remained in Israel during that period of time. They were continually ruled by foreign kings and kingdoms, and their religion changed dramatically. They went from the God-ordained priestly approach toward their faith to a more legalistic system where men created the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Zealots and the Essenes. It became a system of legalism. But there were some that, some remnant in Israel that remained faithful. And we think about those stories of Simeon and Anna in the temple. Remember that? And Elizabeth and, Joseph, Elizabeth and uh, Zacharias and Mary and Joseph and their son John the Baptist. And so if you go to Luke 11.2, it talks about how uh, he starts to address prayer. But John the Baptist is referred to because he seems to be one of those people that have a powerful prayer influence 
in that time. So that's where our instruction takes up at this point. And we know there's many things that we believe about Scripture. There's many truths that we know about prayer. But there's three we're going to concentrate on today. One is that God commands us to pray, which was touched on last week. Number two, we are instructed to pray, and God answers prayer. And we can have confidence in each one of those areas because they are truth. First point is we can pray with confidence because God commands us to pray. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like to be commanded to do anything. Anybody here in the service? I was in the service, and, you know, we had commanders. And uh, this week I was talking with my mom, and I think this is a book review this morning. I don't know. But anyhow, this is uh, Bill O'Reilly's book, Killing Patton. Has anybody read this book? It's a very excellent book about General Patton. You know, when we, we've heard about what a ruthless commander General Patton was during World War II, they called him old blood and guts. You know, his, uh, his guts and the soldiers' blood is what they referred to them. But, you know, he was a very compassionate commander. And he would tell his troops, he would say this to his commanders, he says, train your men hard, train them with much grueling difficulty because if they train hard, that will increase their level of survivorship. There was a command with a promise there. General Patton was a praying man. He actually, uh, he was an Episcopalian by background and uh, there's a whole chapter devoted to his prayer. He prayed to destroy the enemy. And I'm not sure if, so sure if I'd be willing to do that, but he did. He came before the Lord on his knees, this, this great commander. But command and a promise. And so one of the things about the Bible is that whenever we see God give us a command, he also follows it up with the reward concept, a, a promise of a reward if we're obedient. So Luke chapter 2, verse 2 says, And he said to them, When you pray, stop right there. When you pray, not if you pray or you have an option to pray. It's not an option. It's an imperative. And so let me ask the kids here. Ruthie, let me ask you. Ooh, got your attention real fast, didn't I? Ruthie, can you tell me what, what is prayer? Talking to God. That's good. Talking to God. Very simply, right? Now, it's been said by someone that prayer is a dialogue between two people who love each other, God and man. Prayer is communicating with God. It's much more than ritualistic word, uh, words or clever petitions, but it's an expression of our heart attitude, isn't it? It really is an experience in a relationship, not an activity. It's talking with God. It's communicating with God. You know, throughout the scripture, God commands his people to pray, whether it's formally or informally, whether it's in groups or individually, whether it's with hands raised or hands down, whether it's eyes closed or eyes open, whether it's at night or during the daytime, whether it's when we're happy or sad, in good health or not, whether we're, business, when we're, whether we're busy or not, we're told to pray. And some of us pray with more passion and intensity than others. And I'll admit when I'm praying with my, my brother elders that I'm very humble because Steve and Darren pray with so much deeper and heartfelt renderings to the Lord. But Jesus is our greatest example and encouragement and knew that we needed to be reminded continually about praying. And so I want to turn your focus to Matthew 26, 40 to 41, as Jesus is a great encourager. And and you can turn there if you wish, but I'll just go ahead and read the passage for you. It says that when Jesus returned to his disciples, he found them sleeping and says, 
Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? I could just hear this as a rebuke. He's grieved because he's instructed these disciples how to pray. He's dependent on their prayers. He's dependent on their diligence to be alert during this time, and they fell asleep. And he says, let's watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. God knows that we're weak. He knows that we're, uh, we have uh, fallibility. And you know, I remember talking to Steve years ago when I first started coming to this church. I said, Steve, do you ever fall asleep, you know, either having devotions, you know, personal devotions or praying? He says, to my surprise, this is all the time. I have to fight that urge because we will fall asleep. So Jesus has to encourage us to be alert, to be prayerfully minded on a continuous basis because the body, our flesh, is weak and, and uh, we'll fall into that, uh, that sleep mode. And when his disciples came to Jesus to ask him why they couldn't cast out the evil spirit from the boy in Mark chapter 9, Jesus replied, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. So Jesus, or, uh, the disciples could not cast out the demons, but Jesus did. And he says the reason is because it comes out by prayer. He's also our greatest example. Not only is Jesus our greatest encourager, but he is also our greatest example. He's, was, he was disciplined, and he's passionate. And so in Matthew 14, 23, after he dismissed the people, he went up to the mountainside by himself to pray. He was disciplined. I'm, I'm sure he had some kind of a day timer, you know, that he had handy. I'm not, do they use day timers? I use day timers. Is that, how many use the iPhone now to, to book their appointments? Okay. I don't know. I don't know how to use that. I use a day timer. But Jesus used something to remind him, I'm sure, to get away to be with his father. But he was disciplined. He got away from the distractions and demands of the day. He was also very passionate. And on the Mount of Olives, as he was praying, he said this, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. He was passionate in his prayer. Probably the greatest example of Christ's passion in prayer was when he talked about the place of prayer, the temple. And back in Mark eleven seventeen, he cleared the temple, and he said, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you all have made it a den of thieves, a den of robbers. We all know that story. But he was passionate. Jesus was passionate. But here's the part about the commandment that we have to really love to see, and that's the reward. That's the reward. That's the promise that we're looking for. Yes, we will follow the command if we understand the reward. God has great joy over those who pray to him. In Proverbs 15:18, he says this, The Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked, but the prayer of the upright pleases him. And those who find favor in prayer are given a special blessing. In Jeremiah 33, 3, which is one of my favorite verses, he says this, Come to me, and I will answer you, and will tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. I will reward you for your diligence in seeking me. I will show you great and unsearchable things, things that you don't understand, the sciences, the arts, the crafts, everything that you need to know. Come to me, and I'll reward you. Number two, we can pray with confidence because we are instructed how to pray. And it says in Luke 11, 2, again it says, And he said to them, When you pray, say. Stop right there. When you pray, say. Jesus was going to give instruction on what to say after that point. 
And so one of the things we have to understand is God always has a majestic power to our prayer. Now, one of the things I want to ask a young person, uh, Gage, come on up here a second. And we're going to talk about some training, some instruction, okay? <clears throat> now, Gage, uh, Gage is an athlete. See that bar right over there? Grab that, that white stick. Okay, I want you to come up on the stage here. And I want you to put it down right there. We'll put it right down here like this. Now, Gage, I know you're a baseball player, right? But we're going to make you a weightlifter today, okay? Now, I, I think a lot of you know that I work out at a place called CrossFit. Now, <clears throat> CrossFit has kind of a bad reputation out there because, you know, they think it's a cult. A lot of people think it's a cult, and, you know, we run around and puke a lot. Okay, but, but that's not necessarily true. We kind of promote that, that particular stereotype a little bit. But one of the things that we know about CrossFit is it really does do a great job training us. Now, let's see how much training Gage has had in the area of weightlifting. Now, Gage, I want you to pretend that's a barbell, and I want you to grab the barbell. Okay, just grab it. Okay, bring it up. Go ahead and bring it up to your knees. There. Oh, that's pretty good. Bring it, bring it up to your knees first. Okay, there. All right. Gage, you're a better baseball player than you are a weightlifter. <laughs> okay. All right, very good. Uh, put it up over your head. Okay, so if you were grabbing that bar from the ground, that's how you do it? How would you do it? Show me how you'd lift up a big weight, Gage. Put it, probably put it, wouldn't be able to lift it. You probably wouldn't be able to lift it. No, not with that technique. You wouldn't be able to lift it. Okay, Gage, put it down. That's fine. Thank you very much. I, I appreciate that. So, Well, there's a technique there. One of the things I want to show you is that First thing that I learned when I went to CrossFit is that you don't grab the bar like this. You grab the bar like this. It's called a hook grip. If you grab the bar like this and you're lifting great weights, what happens to the bar? It falls out of your hand, right? But if you have a hook grip like this, it won't, it won't fall out of your hand. Not only that, but we worked on this technique. When he says, the, the trainer says, when you lift the bar, if you want to lift great weights, you want to get your knees out of the way and lift it up in line with your shoulders like this. We, lifted, we worked on that technique to, to lift weights for almost two years before we got it right. Two years. Something as simple as that. But by lifting that bar properly, we prevented injuries. We were able to lift great weights without having problems with our back or our knees or our shoulders. And so there's great benefit to training. And so Jesus, he tells us, he wants to train us on how to pray. Now, as I said, God always has a majestic purpose to our prayer. Now, that sounds elementary. That sounds simple. But most people don't really understand that. You know, as we survey many of the references in the Bible, especially the New Testament, we find a consistent pattern of praying. And as an example, every prayer that is given for relief of suffering or maybe relief for financial need, uh, for every, every example there, there are, there's a greater emphasis on prayers directing for spiritual welfare. And let me give you an example of that. Jesus and his apostles continually prayed that God would grant spiritual power, understanding, love for God and one another, restoration of the saints, boldness uh, for proclamation of the gospel that the saints be delivered from temptation and wickedness, clarity of the gospel, selecting and anointing leaders and elders, self-discipline and control, 
The prayer for physical relief was often overruled for the higher purpose of spiritual provision. So many of us are praying for physical relief, which is important to pray about, or financial help. But ultimately, the majestic purpose behind the prayer is spiritual provision for us. Yes, it is to relieve that suffering, but the greater provision is for spiritual uh, growth. An example of this is Paul's prayer to remove the thorn. And what was God's response? He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Weakness. Paul, you don't need healing. You don't need strength. You need weakness. And Jesus prayed for the higher purpose uh, than personal relief when he prayed in the garden, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus was the same way. He emphasized the, ma- the majesty of God's grace and his particular glory, not his own personal relief. And so one of the things that we have to realize is that for every, every example that we see in the New Testament where we're praying for some physical relief or some financial relief, there are many examples where we are encouraged to pray for this, this spiritual benefit that comes with that relief. Does God encourage us to pray for our daily bread? Of course he does. He, always, he already knows what our need is before we ask. And so, But the greater purpose that he has in mind is that he is glorified by seeing our desire to fulfill his will. Our desire is to fulfill his will, not our own. And I think God glories in that. Years ago, you know, I learned a simple formula from Dr. Bill Bright, who is the founder and president of Campus Crusade. And it's guiding me in praying, and uh, I've never really departed from it, and it's an acronym known as ACTS. And I know that um, Pat touched on it last week. I said, great, Pat, what do, I, what do I preach on now? He says, well, you can go into some more detail on it. ACTS, A-C-T-S. A stands for adoration. And, of course, that's the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus is starting out honoring his Father. He says, hallowed be his name, be thy name, or hallowed, or blessed be thy name or glory be your name. You know, when I was in the service, we addressed uh, superior officers either by yes ma'am or yes sir. No ma'am or no sir. And the way we address someone shows either our respect or contempt for that person. And God's name is holy. And so the Jews considered all the 16 various names that they gave to God as being holy and sacred. To use his name in an unholy manner or in a curse was a capital punishing affair in Israel. And if you're like me and you hear the, the name of the Lord taken inappropriately, you should have great rage. I don't feel comfortable. And, and, and you can't even get by with that OMG thing on your, on your cell phone anymore. Don't, don't use that, kids. That's taking the Lord's name um, wrongly. So we approach the holy throne of, of God with honor and proper formality and salutation because Jesus has really raised the bar and establishes a higher view of God. And that's the thing that we do here at Rock Valley Bible Church is we have a high view of God. We want to address him properly, not as our pal or our buddy or a casual friend, but as the righteous, just, and holy God, creator of the universe that he is. And since we have access to his throne room, we must do so with the greatest of care, not in a cavalier way. C, of course, is confession. 
Just as God did not hear his people pray in Jeremiah, he will not hear our prayers if we harbor unconfessed sin in our lives. Psalm 66:18 says this, If I cherish iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Also in Psalm 24, 3 and 4, he says, Who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean, heart, clean hands and a pure heart. And this one I like especially that I've really kind of focused in on in recent years is 1 Peter 3, 7. And husbands, you need to listen to this one because it's really aimed at us. He says this, Peter says, Husbands, in the same way, be considered as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the generous gift, of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Men, if you mistreat your wives, if you do this, you'll have a problem with your prayer life. And speaking of wives, uh, how many of you have uh, sampled my wife's cooking? Can I see a show of hands? Do you, do you kind of enjoy that? <clears throat> good. Okay, I see the hand stayed up there. Okay, good. Went up twice, actually, Amy. Thank you. <laughs> my mother, too. Well, would you appreciate or really enjoy those little dainties as much if you knew that she didn't wash her utensils properly and sanitize them? Of course she does. <laughs> she does, okay? She scrubs everything to make them germ-free. Well, in the same way, the germs of sin will enter into our lives and render us unfit to petition before the Lord. And sin and filth needs to be cleansed away from our lives before we can ask anything of God. We must uh, confess that according to 1 John 1, 9, if, he is faithful, uh, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can count on the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin in our lives as we approach the throne. And as we near it, we see the radiance of his throne and his righteous light to, light to illuminate the sin and the filth and the crud in our lives that piles up. God bless you. <laughs> That's okay to say, by the way. Well, the question is, are we going to run and hide from our sin like Adam and Eve did when, he was, when they were confronted by the Lord? Well, of course, I hope you don't. And also, the, the confession that we talk about here really is accompanied by repentance, which is making right, a change in attitude and action in our lives. Jesus says this in Matthew 5:23. He says, "Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and then remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift." So, men and women, if you have no desire to reconcile with a brother or somebody that you've offended, it might be a good indication that you have unconfessed sin in your life. And the Lord will not hear you. T is for Thanksgiving. Matthew 14, 19 says he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. He was always thankful to his heavenly father. He was always thankful. How many of you like to get thank you notes? Can I see a show of hands? You like to get, I love to get thank you notes, you know, and I get them unexpectedly from time to time, and it's just a joy. But you ever done anything for, or done something for somebody that, uh, something that has cost you time or money or inconvenience, something that says to that person, I love you and I want to show you by way of this action, and you don't even get a thank you note. In fact, you don't even get a, a thank you. How does that make you feel? That's happened to me. You know, you go, wow, I can't believe that. 
maybe they, maybe I just assume it's lost in the mail or whatever. But one of the best ways to demonstrate faith to God is by giving him thanks. How does giving thanks demonstrate faith? When we give God thanks, we acknowledge the evidence of his unseen open hand. His unseen open hand. Our health, our children, our ability to earn a living, even the air we breathe is provided by his generosity. We see not the one who provides, but the evidence of his handiwork in our lives. Giving thanks not only demonstrates our faith to God, but also acknowledges our total dependency on him to provide that which we cannot supply ourselves. You know, folks, these things didn't just drop out of the air, but they were all granted to us by the unseen hand of God and a set of circumstances coordinated by the providential hand of God. You know, I, I guess we're kind of similar. When I read that, that portion of scripture from Matthew six twenty six, where he's talking about the birds of the air, you know, they neither saw us sow nor do they reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than them? I think about that. I think about how he knows we have need. That's the supplication. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious for anything, but by everything, by prayer and supplication and so forth. Make your requests known to God. And the apostles had much to say about petitioning God. But one of the things I want to tell you about is that, you know, in, in Matthew chapter 7, there's also some misinterpretation about this Sermon on the Mount that Jesus uh, had with regard to ask and uh, seek and find and knock. It says in Matthew 7, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells the crowd, Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened to you. And so one of the things that we have to understand about this particular portion is that he grants us an invitation to walk through the doorway leading to his vast vault of resources, but it is conditional. We are, not, we, are, we are warned not to take the verse out of context. Early in the sermon, he tells us not to be egocentric, not to lay up treasures upon earth that we cannot successfully serve two masters. And it only follows that if we're commanded not to serve two masters, we should not pray for or strive for that which is temporal. To pray rightly, we need to understand the mind of Christ concerning the ask, seek, and knock doctrine. James 4.3 says, you ask. And do not receive because you ask wrongly. You to spend it on your own passions. And then he goes on to, to say in chapter 5, then God goes on to warn us, you rich, weep, and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your, your riches have rotted and so forth and so forth. And he says, don't, don't pray for these things. Don't pray for the riches. And, of course, Paul in 1 Timothy 6-7 says, Instruct those who are rich in this present world, and isn't that all of us, comparably? Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the certainty of riches, but on God. So now we're told not what not to pray for, but what is it that we should pray for? What are those things that we should pray for? And there's two categories that I would submit to you. First, those things that we know to be the will of God as revealed in Scripture. Those things that we know to be the will of God as revealed in Scripture. In 1 John 5, 14 and 15, it says, This is the confidence which we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. And so here's a short list of, of some of the things that we should pray for according to his will. 
And uh, these are majestic in nature. It says, for the confidence in witnessing, that our mind be renewed, that our eyes be enlightened so that we know the hope that is in us, for the filling of the Holy Spirit, for conviction of sin, for a clear conscience, in times of trouble and despair, for our needs, that our joy might be full, safety and protection of the saints, and that we not fall into sin that leads to death. That's kind of an interesting one to pray about. He tells us not to pray, that we should pray not to fall into a sin that leads to death. And there's other things to pray for. Well, the second thing that we should pray for are those things that we know are not revealed as God's will in the Scripture. In other words, personal, specific things for our lives are not necessarily revealed as God's will in, in the Scriptures. Out, outside of those things that God gives us specific instructions about, such as disobedience or obedience, you know, I believe that there's a great amount of freedom that he gives us. There's room to operate here with regard to our lives. As an example, kids, do you want to be a teacher? Do you want to be a doctor? What do you want to be, Ruthie? A what? A vet? Okay. Does anything in the Bible say something about you being a vet? No, of course not. But maybe you have the God-given desire to be a veterinarian. Maybe you have a God-given desire to be a teacher or a minister or a missionary. I believe that's one way of, of God confirming in us his will is that the Holy Spirit prompts us in these areas. And so one of the things that we have to realize is that, uh, you know, he doesn't necessarily direct us into a specific vocation from the scripture. He might direct you otherwise as we see evidence of his hand in our lives. And many of us refer to this as the open door, closed door technique or the red light, green light technique. You know, as we go through the door, maybe he'll close the door and open another one for us. But we're told to pray for these things. We're told to petition the Lord about these things that are not necessarily spelled out as his will in scripture. And that's the other side of it. So we should continue to pray. Well, what about sufferings and healings? Uh, well, of course, we're to pray because the scripture tells us to pray for the sick and the suffering. Uh, we're actually told as elders to anoint those that are sick. However, the Lord might have a greater purpose, as we've talked about, to be achieved through the suffering. And there is no mandate in scripture that God is obligated to heal. And I think that's where a lot of our friends in other churches may disagree. Point number three, we can pray with confidence because God does answer prayer. And at our elder meeting, we talked about how you can just design a sermon, a series of sermons around how God answers prayer. He does answer prayer. And as he answers prayer in our lives, we become more confident. And I remember when I first started out as a young Christian, I had a prayer diary. How many of you have a prayer diary? Anybody here have a prayer diary? Good, Virginia. That's where you list down your prayer requests to one side, you would put down the answers on the other side, and you would be amazed how God answers specifically all of your requests. And that confirms your faith. That gives you confidence in praying. You should try that. It's a wonderful, wonderful exercise. Of course, a great example of how God answers prayer is found in Luke 18, 1 through 8, which is the parable of the persistent widow. And last summer, Pat Loner preached a sermon on that. That's where the widow came before the Unrighteous judge, he didn't uh, value either God or man, didn't have any respect for either one. But because of her persistence, the judge says, okay, I'm going to answer her prayer or her request, and I'm going to go ahead and give her justice. And Jesus says, well, how much more does God think about you? And so we know that he answers prayer. 
Also in Hebrews 11:6, the last part he says, believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those that petition him. And Dr. Bill Bright, who of course is the founder and president, was the founder and president of Campus Crusade, in his um, talk, How to Pray with Confidence, says there's four factors. There's four factors that need to be present in us uh, for us to be uh, talking with God, for God to answer our prayers. And he says this, the first one is abide. Jesus said abiding is the key to successful praying. And in John 15, 7, Jesus says this, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Abiding means that we understand the mind of Christ. We're obeying him and we seek to please Jesus. Number two is ask. In John 16, 24, Jesus says, Until now you've asked nothing. You haven't asked anything in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be complete. And I would add to that, not only ask, but ask continually. I think we find that in scripture as well. Number three is believe. Jesus promises in Matthew 21, 22, If you believe, you'll receive whatever you ask for in prayer. And I would say that you don't have to have great faith to believe, but belief in a great God who will fulfill it. Now, I love it when I hear people pray this way. Thank you, Lord, for answering my prayer in advance and really mean it. I love to hear that kind of prayer. They have such great faith that God will answer their prayer before it even comes to fruition. And then finally, four is receive. Receive. Matthew 9, 29 says, this cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Receive it. Pray, then receive. And Bill Bright says, if we are abiding in Christ, walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, you can be assured that God will answer according to the word and will of God. So I'm going to wrap it up here. It's decision time. My call to action. I always say to Steve, we've got to have a call to action more often. We've got to ask people to make a decision about things. Now, we don't have to walk the aisle. We don't do that in this church necessarily, but we do have to really consider making decisions. And so here's what I challenge you about your call to action. My question to you is, so how is your prayer life? Do you have confidence because you've seen God answer prayer? Do you pray with confidence? <coughs> a lot of times I see people kind of petition God in a mousy kind of way, you know, and kind of almost beg. We need to approach God with boldness, with confidence, knowing that he's going to answer our prayer. So how is your prayer life? Do you pray with confidence or do you have difficulty in some areas? Well, the first thing we need to do is recognize that we have a problem. That's point number one, recognize that we have a problem. Maybe you have difficulty with being persist or consistent in your personal prayer life. Or maybe you don't have uh, uh, devotions with your family or with your spouse. Or, or maybe you're just inconsistent, inconsistent with other believers. You know, one of the things that I... Um, I really has been a problem in our church is that we have not had a lot of people attending prayer meeting because we haven't emphasized it. We haven't been consistent. We haven't been persistent in promoting that. The importance of it. It needs to be the keystone, the hour of power, as they say, of our church. We need to be consistent. Well, we need to recognize that we have this problem. Maybe you have a difficulty in trusting God and so you don't petition the Lord that often because of discouragement. Number two is confession. We need to agree with God. We need to agree with God that we need his grace in overcoming that particular difficulty in our, in our prayer life. So first is we need to recognize. Second, we need to agree with God. And third is that we need to covenant with God that with his help, you will strive to become more 
faithful in the area of prayer, in that particular area that you're having difficulty with. Covenant with God. It's almost like a contract, isn't it? You say, God, with your help, this is what I want to do. I would encourage you to take these steps in your prayer life, and I really believe it's going to help. Let's go to the Lord now. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we just thank you for these encouraging words from Jesus about praying. Father, that you've given us confidence in praying. Father, you've been the example. You've been the encourager, and we thank you for that, Father. We have no reason to have unproductive prayer lives, Father. We have no reason not to be successful in our, in our endeavors, Father, petitioning you. Father, we need to understand your mind, your will, and your heart, so we pray light, rightly. Father, may we not uh, be bestowing upon ourselves thoughts and petitions that are selfish and egocentric, Father. May they be for your honor and glory. May they be majestic in their intent, Father. And I just thank you for this group. I thank you for my brothers and sisters here who have a desire to, to pray to you. And, Father, I, I ask that in the weeks ahead that you'd make us mindful of the fact that we need to be prayer warriors in many respects. And we thank you now for this time together. I ask you to bless our, our time as, our, as we depart here and be with our families. Keep us safe on the road. We thank you now for the uh, snow camp going on with the, youth people, the young people right now. Pray for Steve as he's preaching this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. So thank you very much and, uh, for attending this morning. And kids, you can come up here. We'll go over the kids' notes. So.